Welcome to Created Terrain, a production of the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation, a ministry dedicated to helping people fulfill the mandate God gave mankind in Genesis 1.28 to subdue and rule the earth in a way that enhances its fruitfulness, its beauty, and its safety to the glory of God and the benefit of our neighbors. I'm Cal Beisner, president of the Cornwall Alliance, and today I would like to talk about caring and truth-telling. Uh, Christian environmental ethics requires both that we tell the truth and that we care, both that we care and that we tell the truth. Many of us, of course, are familiar with the wonderful hymn, This is My Father's World. This is my father's world, the birds their carols raise, the morning light, the lily white declare their maker's praise. This is my father's world, he shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. This second verse of Maltby Babcock's beloved hymn expresses well the admiration everyone, especially Christians, should have for God's wonderful creation. The hymn has become a favorite of religious environmentalists the world over, and for good reason. Its third and final verse offers hope in a world scarred by man's abuse of nature. This is my father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let earth be glad. That so many Christian environmentalists today love this hymn, written over 120 years ago, and find it expressive of their own loves and joys, fears and hopes, is remarkable. Babcock wrote, Though the wrong seems oft so strong, about 120 years ago, and about 150 years into the Industrial Revolution. Its infernal mills were generating Dickensian cries of grief. Early urbanization, with all its moral and material filth, was well underway in Great Britain, Europe, and North America, though historical data show that people who moved to the cities and worked in the factories were, were better fed, clothed, housed, transported, and medicated, and consequently healthier and longer lived than both their ancestors and their contemporaries back on the farm. What later economists would recognize as the environmental transition was already becoming apparent, though not so obvious as it would become in the latter half of the 20th century. As societies make the transition from subsistence agriculture to early industrialization, air and water pollution increase. Yet at the same time, death rates plummet, the main cause of rapid population growth. Rather than starting to multiply like rabbits, people stop dying like flies. All of this indicates that overall living environments are improving, not degrading. And before long, the increased wealth made possible by industrialization enables people at various levels of development for various different pollutants to afford to curb emissions, cleaning up their environments, soon yielding cleaner environments than before industrialization began. One cannot tell from his full lyrics whether by the wrong that seems oft so strong, Maltby meant ecological harm of the sorts most environmentalists today have in mind. It's more likely that he thought of more traditional things, 
the sorts one can tick off when reciting the Ten Commandments. And even if he did have ecological harms in mind, it's very unlikely that he had in mind large-scale, even planetary-scale, environmental issues like those over which environmental activists have obsessed for the last 50 years or so, like acid rain, ozone depletion, species extinction, or the cause celeb of our day, climate change. In Babcock's time, and even into the middle of the last century, smoke from burning coal or industrial and agricultural chemicals and sewage in streams, rivers, and lakes were the primary ecological concerns, as they remain in many developing countries today. But these were fairly concentrated in and around urban centers. And despite their nastiness, they, they were considerable improvements over the mountains of horse manure that collected in cities before internal combustion automobiles replaced horses for transport. And most of the rest of the world, even in industrialized countries, was largely free of even these pollutants. Nonetheless, This Is My Father's World is a fitting hymn for Christian environmentalists. It reflects the sentiments of Psalm 104, a favorite of the creation care movement, resplendent with admiration for creation and its creator, aware that there are threats, yet confident that in the end the creator will prevail in his goodness and power. That confidence, though, seems missing or weak in much of the creation care movement, which seems to embrace a sort of a doomsday environmentalism. As one explores the websites of the Evangelical Environmental Network, Blessed Earth, Young Evangelicals for Climate Action and Care of Creation, or the environmental elements of websites of organizations like Sojourners or Evangelicals for Social Action, or the more ecumenical National Religious Partnership for the Environment, or most denominational websites' treatments of ecology and the environment, one finds a great deal of appreciation for the goodness of God's creation, coupled with lots of concern about threats to it, especially the large-scale threats I mentioned above. But one doesn't find a confidence that God will prevail. I don't mean that any of them explicitly say that God won't, in the end, have his way. I just mean that there isn't much recognition that, though the wrong seems strong, God is the ruler yet. A doomsday mentality prevails instead. This stems, I think, from a tendency to borrow uncritically from the perspective and language of the broader, secular environmental movement, particularly as reflected in politics and the media. While the Apostle Paul urges Christians to test all things, hold fast what is good, in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, these Christian environmentalists and their organizations generally embrace the claims of the wider movement without significant critical thinking. Reagan Sutterfield, in the liberal magazine Christian Century, wrote, The climate crisis is a real and existential threat to the flourishing life of the planet. Now, one might think evangelicals, who are the least likely of any American demographic to consider climate change a crisis, would be a little more reserved. Some are, like those of us involved in the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. But there are plenty of others who warmly embrace equally alarmist rhetoric. Kyle Mayard Schapp, vice president of the Evangelical Environmental Network and a leader of EEN's spin-off group, Young Evangelicals for Climate Action, 
wrote in response to the House Democrat report solving the climate crisis, quote, The climate crisis is the greatest economic, public health, and existential threat of our time, unquote. That language reflects that of United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres, who called the release of the first volume of the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change's latest assessment report in the summer of 2021, quote, code red for humanity, unquote, adding, quote, the alarm bells are deafening and the evidence is irrefutable, unquote. Yet that language doesn't actually reflect the scientific substance of that report or of earlier versions of that and other reports from the IPCC. That's not surprising, though. Few people, even among environmental activists who focus on climate change, like Young Evangelicals for Climate Action, ever read the report itself, not even the summary for policymakers. Instead, they depend on press releases, which significantly exaggerate the findings. Doing that, though, is a grave mistake because this latest IPCC report gives a far more restrained picture of future human-induced climate change, not only than popular media, but also than earlier IPCC reports. (laughs) I have to warn here for just a moment, what follows is going to get a little technical. Accuracy requires it, so be patient, please. Consider, for instance, this excerpt from the summary for policymakers. Quoting, The likely range of total human-caused global surface temperature increase from 1850 to 1900 to 2010 to 2019 is 0.8 to 1.3 degree Celsius, with a best estimate of 1.07 degree. It is likely that well-mixed greenhouse gases contributed a warming of 1 to 2 degree Other human drivers, principally aerosols, contributed a cooling of, well, nothing to eight-tenths of a degree Celsius. Natural drivers changed global surface temperature by, oh, about negative 0.1 to positive 0.1 degree. And internal variability changed it by negative 0.2 to positive 0.2. It is very likely, the summary for policymakers continues, that well-mixed greenhouse gases were the main driver of tropospheric warming since 1979, and extremely likely that human-caused stratospheric ozone depletion was the main driver of cooling of the lower stratosphere between 1979 and the mid-1990s. Now, much of that could be challenged, but let's just take it at its face value for the moment. The report changes its estimate of equilibrium climate sensitivity, that is, how much warming we should expect from a doubling of carbon dioxide concentration in the atmosphere compared with pre-industrial times, from the fifth assessment reports, 1.5 to 4.5 degrees Celsius, to the narrower 2 to 4 degrees Celsius. And climatologist Judith Curry, former chair of the School of Earth and Atmospheric Sciences at the Georgia Institute of Technology and now president of Climate Forecast Applications Network, offers good reasons to judge the raising of that lower end unjustified. Further, this and earlier IPCC assessment reports have concluded that even the worst-case warming scenarios for this century would only lower global gross domestic product at the end of this century by from about 2 to 5 percent, 
And that's two to 5% below not today's GDP, but a GDP many times higher than today's at the end of the century. And in a world in which today's poorest countries are as much as 70 times wealthier per capita than they are today. That is hardly the stuff of crisis or existential threat. In other words, people will be many times better off 80 years from now than they are today, even if we do little or nothing to curb man-made global warming. The alternative to the hand-wringing of groups like Young Evangelicals for Climate Action and Evangelical Environmental Network is not complacency. There are real environmental problems in the world today. But as noted two decades ago in the Cornwall Declaration on Environmental Stewardship, which became the founding document for the Cornwall Alliance, some environmental concerns are well-founded and serious, but others are without foundation or greatly exaggerated. Some well-founded concerns focus on human health problems in the developing world arising from inadequate sanitation, widespread use of primitive biomass fuels like wood and dung, and primitive agricultural, industrial, and commercial practices, distorted resource consumption patterns driven by perverse economic incentives also cause real problems, and improper disposal of nuclear and other hazardous wastes in nations lacking adequate regulatory and legal safeguards do the same. Some unfounded or undue concerns include fears of destructive man-made global warming, overpopulation, and rampant species loss. The real and merely alleged problems differ in five ways. First, the real problems are proven and well understood, while the merely alleged problems tend to be speculative. Second, the real are often localized, while the speculative are said to be global and cataclysmic in scope, making them much more difficult to study, especially for private individuals. Third, the real are of concern to people in developing nations especially, while the more speculative ones are of concern mainly to environmentalists in wealthy nations. Fourth, the real environmental problems are of high and firmly established risk to human life and health, while the speculative ones are of very low and largely hypothetical risk. And fifth, Solutions proposed to the real ones are cost-effective and maintain proven benefit, while solutions to the speculative ones are unjustifiably costly and of dubious benefit. Christians of all theological traditions should care about protecting our surroundings. The word environment comes from the Middle French environ, that which surrounds, uh, we should all care about protecting our, env our surroundings, our environment, from abuse. We would be wise to care at least as much about describing our surroundings accurately. Well, thank you for listening to Created to Rain, produced by the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share the episode link with your friends. For instructions on how to rate our podcast or to submit your ideas for future episodes, visit the link in our episode description. We would love to hear from you. To learn more or to support our ministry with a 100% tax-deductible donation, please visit cornwallalliance.org. Until next time, 
Always apply the Apostle Paul's instruction in 1 Thessalonians 5.21. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. 